Hello, I'm Faye and thanks ever so much for listening to Freelance Bristol Mum. This week is a chance for me to catch up with a woman who I know both personally and professionally in many senses, Helen Johnson, but also known as the Assistant Curate to St Augustine's Church in Whitchurch and St Paul's Church in Bedminster. Now, Forget your personal faith, your spirituality, whether you believe in a God or an ungod. There is something about Helen that you cannot but help like. And there's a real warmth and compassion about her that she just radiates. And she explained to me her role and how she perceives herself within the community. We talked on so many levels about fashion, what it's like wearing a dog collar, how she manages to fit it all into her family life and her dreams for the future. But first things first, I started by asking her to explain to me, well, what exactly is a curate? I think uh, somebody described it the other day as an apprentice vicar. So I've done my uh, theological training, the academic stuff, and then this is uh, out in the real world, putting it to the test. And is that very different? (laughs) To the academic stuff, yeah. Yeah, yeah. It is. It's kind of like putting what you've learned into practice. And uh thing is, the textbook stuff doesn't always, you know, work in, in practice. Real life tends to uh, throw up a few interesting, uh, yeah, I'm not quite sure how to describe it. But yeah, it can be quite interesting. Some of the things that you get asked in reality compared with what you were taught in the classroom. So yeah, they don't always quite tie up. <laughs> And what was the first big change when you sort of, you graduated from college? Mm. Was it a house move? What what was it? Um, Yeah, I think, you know, all of that was quite smooth, really. The house move, the, you know, moving to a new area, new schools for my children. And all of that was really fine. The biggest change uh, for me, really, was just getting my head around what I'm actually doing now and, not really being called reverend (laughs) but not feeling very reverend (laughs) and uh not really sure what that that looks like for me as an individual I think this is the the biggest being the biggest thing is that I can see other people uh are very good at being holy (laughs) I don't feel very holy myself so it's just seeing how that looks like in reality and do you have that on your debit cards and your cash cards not quite yet I've not been organized enough to to change it over and I think there's something about denial in that as well in that some things I already have changed like my email address and that that kind of stuff but um yeah, I haven't, haven't changed any of the sort of practical things yet. So in a way, is mm. it like making that graduation from when you get married? You know, yeah. you go from being a miss to a missus yeah. and it's getting used to a whole new name and identity. That's part of it. Yeah, it's exactly the same. You know, you call yourself, you know, by a new name. And uh, with that comes a whole load of other things, doesn't it? A lot of baggage. <laughs> so, um, yeah, it's kind of sticking my hand up and saying yes I am that person I'm not quite sure I can do that yet <laughs> and before you you took on this role and you embarked upon theological college mm. you were a nurse weren't you yeah I was a nurse for about 15 years and I think I had the same process with that you know you go from being a student nurse doing all the theology uh, the theology all the <laughs> theory <laughs> I was obsessed by theology <laughs> all the theory and then putting it into practice and I remember standing in the um cloakroom um on the ward that I worked and uh as a student nurse you have a white belt to symbolize that you're kind of 
not quite there you're on probation so it's a safety thing that everybody recognizes that you're not quite capable yet Mm. being left to your own devices and suddenly one day just having that blue belt um I think it was six months probation period before you were allowed to wear your blue belt on the ward um, and seen as any other staff nurse. And that that was exactly the same for me. Um, But I think I settled into that role quite quickly because there's something very hands-on about nursing, whereas this stuff seems to be a bit more kind of head stuff and heart stuff. And it's not quite so easy to define where one, you know, aspect of the job starts and another one finishes. It's... uh, lot messier (laughs) is there such a thing as a typical day in a life as a curate not that I've had yet (laughs) (laughs) because I keep I keep forgetting things as well and I know that's because there is no real pattern to the week as such I mean there's a pattern to my day um in in you know what I do generally but in terms of what happens on a hour by hour (laughs) uh you know, afternoon by afternoon sort of uh, thing. It, there's no real, yeah, no real pattern. And yeah. how how do you find it? Um, obviously, you have two parishes that you're across, and they're both mm. South Bristol, yeah. so that must be quite helpful. But is it difficult not having the same sort of, you know, visibility in, in one side of the parish to another? Uh, no, not really. I think um, I thought it would be uh, quite difficult to get my head around two parishes but actually it's been really um I don't want to say easy (laughs) but it's been a lot less complicated than I thought it would be the way I look at it it's like having two children and even though they're both completely different you love them exactly the same Mm. and so um and and they have different needs as well so I think it's just about um seeing where I fit into that because obviously these uh two congregations already established and uh you know who am I some young whippersnapper to come in and sort of bring my ideas to the table so yeah it's just about seeing where I I can offer um yeah something of value really um but I yeah it's not as as difficult as I uh, as I might have thought and on that note you know you sort of touched on children you're a mother of two Mm. do you think it's a hard role as a as a woman as a mother to ask of your family mm. actually um we need to move and this yeah. is what I'm now doing yeah I think it's been a gradual thing for us so um I'm probably still more in denial about it than my family are they seem to have got on board a lot quicker than I have and um I think that's you know just God's grace really has allowed us as a family just to kind of take one step at a time and we've been talking about this move for couple of years so it's been there in the back of our minds the whole time and uh, now it's a reality I think uh, yeah it's just it's just one of those things that's happened gradually and so you can get get your head around it a bit more I guess I feel a sense of uh, responsibility to make it work um, in that I've moved my children out of schools Um, I've taken all of us out of our family home and I I feel that sort of that burden quite heavily but actually they are all really settled and really happy and so that makes it a lot easier for me and I don't feel you know guilty in that way for the changes um 
because it, it has all just sort of fitted into place. And when you graduate, you know, when you when you become a fully fledged vicar, yeah. I mean, it could be, an, well, it will be another move again, won't it? Yeah, I mean, there's, uh, I'm here for three to four years. Um, I can't even really think about the next stage. I don't even know what that looks like looks like if you can ever look know what the future sort of holds um but I've got no ideas in my head of what that might entail um but I recognize it might be another move somewhere else it probably will be another well it will be because we have to get out of the house (laughs) (laughs) after three or four years um so I just yeah I'm just open to whatever God's gonna sort of throw our way and just see see where we go from there I think as a family, it's almost given us a new sort of lease of life because I think we'd kind of got sort of uh, quite comfortable uh, where we were. And I just think sometimes when you change things and shake things up, actually, it gives you a whole new lease of life mm. and uh, new excitement about what what's next, really. Mm. And at what point did you think, actually, this is, was it a calling from God? Was it a big sort of gear change and mild milestone moment in your life or was it a gradual thing a realization um I'm not quite sure how I got from being a nurse to doing this that all still seems a bit blurry (laughs) um because it was it was a gradual thing but also a really uh sudden thing really if you think about you know the fact that I've been in the same career for all of that time and then suddenly here I am doing something completely different that was never on my agenda you know I never thought when I was growing up I know I want to be a vicar because um, I wasn't in that type of church anyway so I never had an um, an idea about being you know a priest or or any of that stuff so all of that's come as quite a surprise to me um, but the journey as a whole, like if if I you know if I could pinpoint a time, it was in the summer of two thousand and seven uh, when I felt sort of uh, God prompted me to do something different. Um, I didn't even know what that looked like, and it's been a whole journey since then. I think it's only really the last couple of years that I've uh, begun to understand that you know what th- what this might you know entail for me as an individual and also for my family but I still haven't really got my head around the fact that I'm doing this um because it is so much less uh it's not less secure I don't think that's the right word but less uh there's less pattern there's less shape there's you know it, it is a messy job and uh yeah but I love it and when it comes to, you know, women in ministry and women mm. in the church, there's been a real change, yeah. hasn't there, recently? Yeah. Personally, that must, you know, really strike a chord with you. Yeah, I I think, yeah, it, it's still got a long way to go. I've had, um, I've experienced personally um, some people's opinions that perhaps women shouldn't be doing the job that we're doing. And all I can say really is to speak for my own experience is that I never asked for this. You know, I never asked God to call me out of what I was doing to do something different. Um, but I know that I have to be obedient. And to me, it's all about obedience that actually God has put this call upon my life. 
Um, and I do feel that part of my ministry is to women and to empower them and to equip them to do whatever God's called them to do. Um, and if that is to stay at home, to look after children and to have that family role, then I would love to support women in that. And if also if it's to work and have your career and, and all of that stuff, I just think that... Um, we've almost kind of come become a bit sort of um almost like we want to have everything um we want to have the family have the career have and i think sometimes we we need to sort of say that um whatever we've been sort of called to do is as valuable as the next next person really and not to undermine any of the the roles um because I think there's a tendency to kind of, uh, you know, for both sides, whether you're a working mum or a stay-at-home mum, there can be a bit of disparity betwe- between uh, whether that's... Uh, the right thing. Yeah. The correct yeah, thing. Yeah. And I, and I think that's, you know, society's got a lot to say about it. I think, and, yeah, yeah, I think you're right. And, and it's really nice to hear you say, my interpreting your words there is almost you see yourself as a supportive role within the community mm. for to enable women or help enable women do exactly whatever it is they, they see themselves fit. Yeah, you've got to say that much better than <laughs> I do. <laughs> I think that's exactly what I was trying to say because I think this is the thing. It's not about um, jumping on the feminist bandwagon um, and saying, oh, all women should, you know, I think women are created in the way that we are created. We are mat- have a maternal. Most of us have a maternal instinct or um, uh, some desire to nurture and to love. And I'm not saying that men don't have that, but I think it's embracing that rather than saying let's just dismiss that part of us. You know, I think that's the biggest thing for me in ministry is that I bring my femininity to the table. I don't want to say I'm not that kind of um, soft-hearted, emotional person. And I know not all women are like that, but for me, that is part of who I am. And uh, when you're sat in a room full of men and you're in the minority, I think we have a gift to bring to ministry that perhaps um and men obviously have an, an other gifts you know um so I think each individual brings their own stuff but I think as women we should be embracing our womanhood mm. if that doesn't sound too kind of uh I don't know <laughs> uh, but you know I think we should embrace our womanhood and just say yes this is who we are and not be ashamed of it um and you know I think this is probably where it's difficult still because we're still early days for uh, women in any kind of sort of career and workplace and there's still not equality because I think we've almost gone too far the other way and said, well, in order to keep up and to be accepted for for my ability, I have to deny who I am as an individual. We almost have to take off our feminine sort of stuff, um, our emotion, our our nurturing nature and we almost apologize for it I want to say I'm here to champion it (laughs) and say whatever that looks like for any woman you know whether that is sort of a role within the home or a role in the workplace that's really good to hear and part of being a woman and part of your identity is what you look like and what you do and what you wear every day Mm. and you look fab you've got your makeup on you're wearing red and black you have momentarily taken off your dog collar. <laughs> now, what was it like 
Mm. Having to wear a dog collar every day, was that a strange thing to recognise when you looked Mm. in the mirror? Yeah, I guess I because I've always worn a uniform, I just see it as another uniform. Um, my biggest issue is that I don't normally cover up my neck. Yeah. I don't I don't really particularly like having something around my neck all the time, but it is a reminder um, that I'm wearing this dog collar for a reason, or I was wearing it earlier for a reason. And uh, it's a constant sort of, it's not only just a physical thing, it's sort of representing uh, God and, and what we stand for. And I think it's really important to be seen to wear your dog collar. Um, I think it's not as difficult wearing it as I thought it might have been. Um, but I, th- I, I still, I think I, I struggle from a fashion point of view because <laughs> there's still a limited choice out there as to what you can wear with a with a dog collar, and it's trying to make it, it still be an individual. Um, but I think part of the dog collar is to sort of minimise who I am and accentuate who God is. And so perhaps it's a, it's a fine line between being too kind of <laughs> individual in, in how I look, but also recognising that it's it's about more of God and less of me. And is it officially called a dog collar? Yeah, it I is. don't know why. We don't know the history of that. Well, there is some history in that... Um, the local parson would wear a white scarf around their neck. I, I imagine it's like a symbol of purity almost, um, that that we're clothed in, in the um, clothes of Christ, the purity of Christ. And so over the years, that's kind of got adapted and uh, moved from a scarf to a bit of plastic. <laughs> <laughs> Modern piece of yeah. plastic, yeah. <laughs> Worn uncomfortably under your neck. Yeah. So... How do you, how how would you like to see your future, Helen? I mean, I know you said you can't picture a lot of things, but do you mm. ever have a moment, allow yourself a daydream and think, oh, one day I'd love to go and retire in Devon? Yeah. Or, you know, do you do you ever dare think like that? Mm. Or not? Yeah, I've, I mean, I've got a lot of ideas and visions that God, I feel, has given me of what the future looks like, whether I share them, because <laughs> it sounds, you know, some of them are a bit daydreamy. Um, I think, you know, I'd love to... I love to write. I'd love to write a book. What that book would be about, I don't know. But uh, yeah, that's definitely one thing I'd like to do. Um, and I would like to sort of travel around the country. And, you know, I, I'm an evangelist at heart. So at the end of the day, telling people about Jesus is what I live for. Um, how you do that, obviously, that can vary in a lot, lot of different ways. So that is kind of like my vision for the future. Um, in terms of where I'd like to end up, I love America. Um, I like New England, and so maybe some bolt hole wow. near a lake over there would be mm. nice. Um, but I'm really open. I am open to wherever God just wants to send me and us as a family, and uh, yeah, see what see what the future holds. <laughs> Thoroughly, one hundred percent likable, isn't she? They are. 100% likeable, isn't she? There we are. That was Helen Johnson, the uh, assistant curate to St Augustine's Church in Whitchurch and St Paul's in Bedminster. If you'd like to get in contact with her or drop her a line, then you can do that via myself at hello at freelancebristolmum.co.uk or likewise, maybe that just sort of triggered a thought and you'd like to make contact yourself or aspirational women you'd like to suggest that I make contact with, then please do. It's always really good to hear from you.